Take your Bibles with me to Proverbs 28. begin with prayer. Father, help us tonight. Help us to take you seriously and to heed your word and to walk in your ways. We need your help. Work by your spirit. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. On May 19th, in the year 2020, three years ago this May, evangelical apologist and you know, philosopher, Ravi Zacharias, met his maker. He died. Several months after he died, multiple reports surfaced alleging sexual abuse, especially through some massage parlors that he frequented, some of which he owned. These allegations were later formally investigated and corroborated with pictures and messages on his devices, along with a paper trail revealing thousands of dollars of mismanaged donated funds. It was widely reported that this Christian teachers for years had engaged in misconduct, abuse, harassment, often in the name of God and spirituality, harming dozens of women spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially. Several years prior to his death, one allegation of this kind had surfaced against him, which he'd been able to discredit, apparently only to intensify his efforts to hide his secret life. And the shock of it was no one saw it coming. Very few, at least. The scope of the secrecy was massive. And it didn't come out completely until he died. It was a tragedy of character. And many people felt he got away with it. Did he? Tonight, I'd like to address all of us from Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 on the topic of dealing with sin in your life. In light of God's great mercy and his glory, it's a foolish thing to fail to deal with sin. And tonight, with God's help, I want us to see that all spiritual success is tied to what you do with your sin because God is merciful and righteous. Of course, we see God's mercy and his justice come together most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. How can he be both? It's because of Christ. And I hope we'll see Christ tonight. So this is for believers and unbelievers. If you're in either of those categories tonight, I trust there will be refreshing views of Christ for all of us, but really a warning about sin. In these verses, I believe there are kind of two planes of application. You see there, just as your eyes pass over the verse, the general principle of how life ordinarily works. Look at verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. This is a very proverbial uh, kind of universal statement. He who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. There's that, that human plane of how life generally works. But I believe there's also the ultimate application to our sin before God. If we conceal our sin before God and won't turn from our sin, we will not prosper in time or eternity. 
But of course, God is full of loving kindness and compassion towards those who turn from sin. God has a certain view of sin. And if we miss God in all of this, we're missing the point of the proverb. And as we'll see tonight, it's for that reason that all blessing, both in time and in eternity, spiritual blessing is absolutely linked with what you do with your sin. God tells us what he knows and thinks about sin and what he himself is like towards sin. He's full of wrath towards sin, yet full of compassion towards those who turn from it. It's for that reason, all spiritual success is tied with what you do with your sin. So let's read our text for this evening. Proverbs 28, 13. God's word says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. I want us to see the following views God has of sin. I believe, first of all, we can see really what is a universal truth, that all men have sin before God. He who conceals his transgressions, of course, this is just a proverb, and he's talking about this particular issue of hiding sin, but there's just this assumption that everyone has sin. You are a sinner before God. I am a sinner before God. But what are transgressions? What is this word? He who conceals his transgression. To transgress is to rebel or trespass or betray. Morally, it's to violate a covenant like Israel did with God, like a marriage covenant. Or Israel betraying God, pursuing idols, disobeying what they agreed to do when he gave them the law. Uh, a husband or a wife forsaking the vows that they made before God and witnesses, breaking a covenant. And although we can transgress against an individual or against a group or against a state, every transgression is ultimately against who? It's against God. It's something a person does. We, we act. We commit against a revealed standard. One author said, at its core, sin, more generally, is a violation of the creature-creator relationship. Man only exists because God made him, and man is in every sense obligated to serve his creator. God has revealed himself from heaven. God made us. He told us this, and he expects us to serve him. And when we sin, we transgress against God. Who has committed transgressions? Well, of course, everyone. The oldest nun to the youngest baby. We all sin. We all have a sin nature. This particular word comes up in Isaiah 53. If you turn there, Isaiah 53, a precious passage. Makes it very clear. Who does this? And the Bible all over testifies of this. This isn't new to us, perhaps, but we ought to realize that this is for all of us. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. This is the suffering servant, the Messiah who is to come. From Israel's standpoint, 
He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were we are healed. See all these terms for sin, falling upon the sin bearer. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. There's many truths here, but the truth, the two truths I want to draw your attention to is that are these, that we all sin. We all have a sin nature. We are all inclined toward our own way. And yet God caused all of the punishment for our transgressions to fall on Christ. It's our nature. We're born with it. I once heard a little boy answer his dad when his dad, who was a pastor, said, son, why did you do that? And he said, dad, it's my nature. And that's the truth. It's our natural existence to sin out of our sin nature. If anything has changed, that's, that's a change. That's not the original. We are transgressors. You are a transgressor, and you must do something about it. And really, the state of your eternal soul hangs on this question. What have you done with your sin? The universal truth, the assumption of this text is that all men do sin. And he's talking about what we do with it. But first, all people transgress God's laws and God's character. We're perpetrators, men and women, boys and girls, young and old, church member and not. All spiritual success in this life starts at this point, that all people have sinned. But God reveals more than a universal truth. He gives, I believe, insight in these verses into human nature. There's a universal response. And you see here, this response is enumerated. It's concealing. What do you do with your sin? All men deal with their sin before God. You do, I do. When you look around the world, you see all the religions of the world wrestling with this. You do good works to pay for sin. You go to purgatory to cleanse you from sin. You go on a pilgrimage. You do missionary service. You make animal sacrifices. You have washing rituals. You meditate. You Go even into religious fanaticism, child sacrifice. There are obvious effects of sin in the world that people are trying to deal with in various ways. And in our culture, it might not be quite that obvious, but it's there. We all try to deal with sin. Maybe someone who is bitter, maybe a parent who is bitter, tries to, to cover her sin by, by strict dress and strict parenting and strict behavior. There's covering. Maybe someone who's addicted to drugs or pornography is, is trying to flush his pills down the toilet or cleanse his browsing history. There's a desire to cleanse, right? We're trying to deal with sin. Someone who's addicted blames his environment, he, his DNA, his upbringing, his parents. You're, you're shifting blame. Maybe we try to appease God by going to church. We're trying to deal with sin. Well, this verse here is saying those who conceal their sin are deceived and they're in danger 
of being hardened. To conceal is to cover or hide, to keep it to yourself, to keep it from others, to shield it from view. And if you look up this word, there are times when concealing or overlooking, even forgiving is how this word is translated sometimes, that it's a good thing. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Another translation translated it as he overlooks an insult. He conceals dishonor. You could say that it's prudent to overlook an insult. Turn one page back to chapter 10, verse 12. Someone has called this an even more noble motive for overlooking. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers. It's the exact same word, all transgressions. It's loving at times to conceal or to cover a wrong committed against you. Again, this word sometimes even translates as forgive. And if you've been in the men's Bible study with us, this is really what our book has taken multiple chapters to talk about. When is it? How do you know that you should cover? Are you able to cover? Is this a sin that you should not cover? Is it harming this person? Is it harming someone else? Is it hindering your relationship? Is it bringing significant dishonor to God such that this person can't just have their sin overlooked? They need to be brought to repentance. They need to be shown the seriousness of their sin. So there are times when concealing in a, in a different sense is good, even right. But to cover your own sin, rather than to turn from it, it's self-deception. When we conceal our sin, we're saying it's not a big deal. No one will know, or maybe it's actually not a sin. That person deserves it after what he did to me. These are lies. Don't you think this is what Judah and his brothers thought when they abused Joseph and lied to their father? That little twerp, goody two-shoes, he had it coming. There was no fear of God before their eyes. How about Achan? When he saw the, the precious metals and the garments, oh, it's beautiful. Shame to let that go to waste. I worked hard today. Nobody will know. Nobody will miss it. He didn't heed the voice of the Lord. He didn't observe the eyes of God following him. Or David, I must have her. I'm the king. I deserve this. Oh, I can fix this. Nobody has to know. What did David end up saying when he concealed his sin? We sang about it tonight. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. The ordinary way that the world works is that those who hide their sin get scorched by their sin. They try to handle a, a hurricane of habitual temptation, and they get drowned in the 
flood. They try to walk the tightrope and they fall. That's how it works. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You can hide it from people, but you can't hide it from God. You cannot hide your sin from God, can you? Fear him. God sees. If you don't, you will know the dryness that David knew. You will not know the vitality of the blessed man who walks with God. If you think about the blessing of the God fear, read Psalm 1. He's like a tree planted by rivers of water. And the 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 pressures of life do not cause him to wither. Do, do you feel this when you walk closely with the Lord? If you conceal your sin, you might get the fleeting, cheap pleasure of sin, but you will not have the eternal pleasure of God resting on you. And if you end up miserable in your sin, that's the mercy and love of God, isn't it? Because if you don't know that, you should tremble. Everybody deals with their sin somehow, and those who conceal it really are playing with fire. But those who confess and forsake sin, I believe these verses demonstrate they're practicing the fear of the Lord. Look in verse 14. How blessed is the man who fears always, always. And it's contrasted with the one who hardens his heart. I believe there's kind of a, a flipping here. The one who conceals his transgressions may end up being the one who is hardening his heart over his transgressions. And what has progressed in his life, not only is he not prospering in the end, he's falling into calamity. But the one who is blessed and who fears always, he's, he's demonstrating, he's acting out the fear of the Lord by confessing and forsaking his sin to find compassion. That man is blessed who fears the Lord. By turning from his sin. Turning, repenting, and turning from sin, that is exercising the fear of God. Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. He turned his foot from evil because he feared God. I heard someone define the fear of God as taking God seriously. When you take God seriously, you listen to what he says about sin, and you believe him, and you act on it, and you turn away from it. You're afraid of it. Why would Job be afraid of sin? Isn't that a little juvenile? Have you ever been afraid of getting a disease? Would you purposely try to expose yourself to a deadly disease? just so that you could avoid the term of being a little juvenile. Job feared God. God said that. When I make a rule for my son and tell him that when we're crossing the street in the crosswalk, we're not in the crosswalk. You are not allowed to stop in the middle of the street and tell me what you see. This is a rule. He doesn't understand the danger of cars, the, the way that roads work. 
but the way that he exercises trust and obedience, and you could say fear of me, is simply by obeying, taking my word seriously and doing it. If you deal with your sin by concealing your sin, you will have no spiritual prosperity. You'll be like a tree without water, like a flower without rain. Do you have any of those in your yard right now? And worse, if you persist there, instead of fleeing from sin, if you flirt with sin, the devil has wiles to destroy you. But our God is a God of compassion, isn't he? We have but to ask him for forgiveness. If you turn from your sin and seek his mercy, he promises he will give it. It's a lie of the devil to say otherwise. But the text goes on to say, not only do you have sin and not only do you deal with it, you've been given good news about it. I believe there's a universal invitation here. All men are invited to forsake sin for God. You are invited. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Whoever confesses and forsakes will find compassion. Of course, this is true on a human level. This word here, compassion, is strong affection or, or pity, even love, based on a relationship, often used of God, often in spite of someone's sin. God, God has compassion. He feels it to his heart. This is the heart of the father of the prodigal son, looking for his son, knowing how much of a wreck he was, how wayward he had gone. He had compassion on him. He ran to him and he forgave him because he came home. This is the heart of God the Father. And life works this way with other people only because God is this way, right? Anyone who responds to repentance this way is acting like God. And I say that based on Exodus 33, when Moses said, show me your glory. God said, this is my glory. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. God is delighted to do this. This is who he is at his core. This is the unique excellence of God. No one is like God in this way. If you see this in any person, it's just a shadow of how great God is beyond that. So maybe a teen who comes to his parents disclosing some sin, he may receive compassion and forgiveness. And there may be trust that needs to be restored. There may be consequences because there need to be, but there's real compassion because that parent loves that child. And he's so thankful that he turned from his sin. When he concealed it, it ate at him. It embittered him. It enslaved him. He didn't even enjoy the thing he was hiding. Isn't that how Satan works? He promises you all this pleasure and then he, and he stings you. But there's great relief in that repentance and that compassion that he's been shown. And if it is that way for him, it is that way because God is that way and he can have that same forgiveness, full and free with God too. So if you're here tonight 
and you are hiding sin, I also want to tell you, know that this is the heart of God. This is what he's like. But how do we access this compassion? What what is the key that turns the lock? If compassion is from God and available ultimately from him, it's confession. It's repentance of sin. That's God's prescribed means of obtaining this mercy. He who confesses and forsakes those transgressions will find compassion. Admit them and leave them. Don't admit it and then hang on to it. Don't refuse to admit it, but try to break yourself from it. Confession is admitting or agreeing. Repenting is forsaking and turning. David said in Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we confess and forsake our sin rather than hide it, we bring it into the open and we say, God, yes, I did do this. You called this sin. This really is from me. This is who I am. I turn from this to you. Don't let it have dominion over me. Keep me from going back to you. I I, I want you. I don't want my sin. Confess it. Forsake it. And what happens? God forgives. This is his nature. This is his heart towards sinners. He delights to rescue people. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How is he righteous to do this? Because if you are trusting in Christ, he has punished your sin in Christ and he can forgive that. It's under the blood. It really is the most insane thing that we do when we resist this kind of God and persist in our sin. Doesn't sin make us insane? It's deceitful. But this is the goodness of God. If we will turn from our sin. He will forgive us. You read the Old Testament and you see God's grace all over the Old Testament. Of course, you see it in the New, in these statements and and letters, but you see it enacted toward the people of Israel. God just pleading with them, just admit that you're doing this and come back to me. And by the end of their history, Israel, when they're being judged severely, it becomes very apparent that they had been trying to hide their idolatry. But God just talks about it like he's seen it the whole time. They thought they could do it in their houses, that they could keep it from him. They couldn't. But God still proclaims to all men everywhere that whoever forsakes sin and believes in Christ will be saved. So come to him. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Is there a weariness and a heaviness to sin? And you will find rest. He will not reject you. Jesus invites you to be reconciled to God through him. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that he is just and the justifier. He will punish sin, but he will forgive sin if you turn from it. 
Your spiritual success is tied to this. What will you do with your sin? You have it. That is clear. You will deal with it. We all do. God has told us what we should do and how we can do this by his grace. But if you don't, finally know this. You'll be held accountable. The universal judgment. All men face evaluation and retribution from God. You will meet God. You see that in time, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. There seems to be a in-life element to this. But then in the next verses, there seems to be a in-eternity element. How blessed is the man who fears always? How blessed is he? He's going to be blessed for eternity. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Calamity of tripping and falling his ankle? No, the calamity of tripping and falling to hell. God sees, he evaluates, he rewards in life. He gives compassion He gives spiritual prosperity. So don't believe that it's better to preserve your reputation than to turn from your sin. Don't believe that sin is worth it. God wants you to know his blessings and to serve him with joy all of your days. But if you don't in this life, you will see God for judgment in death. And I just want to warn everyone here about the calamity of unrepented sin in light of our certain death. Only a fool says there is no God. I will not meet God. I will not give an account to God. But I also want to urge you toward this blessing, the blessing of full forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's a burden lifted. It's that image of pilgrim going to the cross and his burden being lifted off of his shoulders and it rolling down the hill, rolling into the grave forever. There's eternal blessedness in having cleansing through Christ. So what happens when someone like Ravi Zacharias gets away with it and goes to his grave without ever facing the consequences for his sin in life? What does he actually accomplish? He keeps his reputation. He keeps his money. He keeps his influence. He kept his pleasure. He kept his thrills. He kept his secret, didn't he? But then he died. And what did he keep of all of that? Nothing. And only God knows what happened next because only God knows his heart. And praise God that he's a just judge and he will do everything right. And I don't have to worry about that. Except in my own case. But what a horrible, horrifying way to die. Never having turned from a secret sin. There's a universal truth that all men are sinners and transgressors, rebels, traitors toward our creator, toward our king, toward our judge, who is full of love and wrath. 
justice, and compassion. It's also universally true that all people everywhere try to deal with their sin. Some people entertain it, they keep it, they foster it. Some people cover it, they try to wash it away, they try to pay their own debt. And some, by God's mercy, with the help of his spirit, refuse it and kill it. Put it off, forsake it. And God gives this invitation that whosoever will may come. You can be right with him through Christ as you forsake your sin and believe that Jesus is God's son. The only payment for your sin in your place. But there is this warning everywhere in scripture, but also in these verses, that the universal judgment is coming. All men will face the judgment of God. So all spiritual success in life and in eternity, it's tied to what you do with your sin. Have you laid your sins on Jesus? The accursed load? He was made a curse for you. Have you called on his name? If you do, it's, it's there and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Are you pursuing, instead of that, a path of dryness, of hiding, fear, guilt, shame, despair, and eventually destruction on a day that you do not know? Just to hang on to your sins that really enslave you, that give you no satisfaction? Or will you forsake them at the invitation of God today? in order to know the sweet freedom and forgiveness of God. There is blessing in being forgiven, both in this life and in the next. I, I do plead with you, if, if there's anyone here that has a sin that they conceal, to heed not my words, but the words of God. This is God's heart. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper and if you don't prosper and you know you're not prospering and you know it's from God, that's God's mercy to you. Turn from your sin, which will, which will condemn you. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth revealed from God to us for our good and for his glory in the earth as we as God's people then go on turning from sin and putting on Christ's likeness, and we're changed to be like Christ. May God give us help. Let's pray. Father, this is a sober and a serious thing. And it's not just one time that it's happened in history. Lord, even as I speak, may you lay it on all of our hearts, wherever we are. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, Lord, because there is this traitor in all of us. Even though we've, if we've been redeemed, if we are in Christ, as I trust many are tonight, 
We're not free from the presence of sin. Lord, keep us humble. We, we wonder how we can make it through life unscathed with how, how wicked we are and how much sin we know we still do have. But we know that if we walk with you, you will give us light. And if we walk with you humbly, certainly you will give us the grace that we need. Lord, if there's anyone here who is hiding sin or harboring sin, keeping it, entertaining something, Lord, even even the plotting of evil is sin, you say in your word. I pray that we would forsake that, that you would turn that one from their wicked way and turn to you so that they can know your forgiveness and the great relief of of serving you and being right with you. Lord, we praise you tonight for sending Jesus Christ to rescue sinners like us because we wouldn't even be in a place where we were hiding our sin. We would just be sinning flagrantly if it weren't for Christ and if it weren't for your work to rescue us and pluck us out of the pit. Help us to live with grateful hearts and, and joyful hearts towards you, turning our foot from evil like Job walking in the way of righteousness like Christ. We ask for your help and your grace. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.